Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyes Jiwa. My guest on the podcast today, Gabe Charbonneau, is a family physician from Montana. In this conversation, we explore the most difficult of questions, how do physicians survive a lifetime in practice? Speaking about the choices that he's made in his own career, Gabe says, And out of all of the hundreds of conversations I've had with physicians, it is a sense of agency, a sense of choice that we really so desperately want. We want to have a voice in our own destiny. And how this ties into my own story is that each step along the way, all of these changes, the going from the community health clinic to the locums job to now where I'm at in rural Montana, to the working part-time, to the using creativity to make software, to making games, to getting involved in creating a, a, a grassroots organization, they were for me expressions of agency that have allowed me to fill up my, my tank and keep going in a sustainable way. Here to tell his story is Gabe Charbonneau. Gabe, I'm delighted to have you on the show today, and particularly because we both trained as family physicians. It is a job that many of us have a similar story as to why we chose to become family doctors. What's your story? So my story is I I grew up in a small town, about 700 people, and I had 15 people in my high school graduating class, so we're talking really small. And we really had one doctor in our community. And so that's what I knew about what it was like to be a physician. And one of my earliest memories of him and and of what it was like to interact with a doctor was when my mom took me in to be seen because I had this this rash on my body that had appeared and it was itchy and bumps all over and neither one of us knew what it was. And I just remember she took me there and he was so comforting. And the way that he cared for me, the way that he knew how to kind of direct that situation where both of us were a bit nervous and use his questions and exam to give answers and comfort. So I walked in afraid and walked out, I think I told you this before, to myself singing the Molluscum Contagiosum song because that's what he diagnosed me with. So it was nothing serious, but just the the way that he treated me really, it left a major impression. And that's one of the things that I've carried with me from the very beginning and still inspires me to this day that I, I would like to be that kind of doctor. That's a fabulous story. And I could tell you similar stories from my experience of our family doctor. So it seems almost it transcends international boundaries. It wasn't just that he made the diagnosis of molluscum contagiosum. It must have been the way that you were handled during that meeting. You know, sometimes it's hard to put to words what it is that someone does that's so special. But he was warm and kind and calm and had a a wisdom about him, probably from all the experience and times he'd seen things like this before. I knew I was in the right place with the right person and that he was going to help me. 
And it, that was obvious from the time that we met, which is exactly what you need when you're in a vulnerable state as a patient. He must have made you feel safe in the sense that here yeah. you are with this rash. And molluscum can be quite frightening because you get these widespread bumps all over you and you think you're going to be scarred for life and you, your <laughs> yeah. imagination runs wild. But it's more than that. Your doctor must have made you feel that he cared. Yes. You use the word warm. What other things do you think it was about that interaction that made you feel safe? I've been reading the book Compassionomics over the last few weeks, and so that's really top of mind. And I think I can't help but describe the way he treated me as compassion, which is the action of kindness. I think that's what it was. I think he was very good at compassion. In fact, I've been thinking about that a lot, really. The different We talk so much about empathy, which is extraordinarily important, but, but the difference between compassion and empathy has also become quite interesting to me, especially when you get into conversations about why it can be sometimes so hard to be a physician. We talk about compassion fatigue, but I think if you look at what's really going on in the people that study both of these things, Kristen Neff, who's sort of the worldwide authority on compassion, says it's not really compassion fatigue we probably are describing, but empathy fatigue, that, that throughout the day, if you're not careful by feeling what other people feel all day long, that's quite exhausting. But actually, the science would say that compassion can energize us. Treating another with kindness and caring can actually give you energy, which I think is, a, is quite a hopeful message. Maybe a subtle difference at first, but I've been really thinking about that a lot in my own interactions with patients, both since reading some of Kristen Neff's work and also this Compassionomics book. But I, I think that ties into exactly what my experience was early on. If you look at the mechanics of the consultation, so for example, if you go into a busy doctor's clinic, you may well find that doctor typing away on a computer, glancing over to you once in a while. Mm asking you very closed questions. It is the pain there, yeah. is the pain you know, there, what are the other symptoms, have you been vomiting? All these yeah. kind of questions. That's not the experience that you and I no. first that brought us into the work that we do. I imagine that the doctor who saw you with molluscum would have given you his full attention. He would have turned to face you. He would have looked you in the eye. Yes. He would have asked you yes. questions about yourself before he started questioning you about this or your mom about the symptoms or whatever yes. you were presenting. Yes. He would have given you time to ask questions. And I imagine it didn't take longer than it takes the doctor today to achieve the same outcome, which is to see you out the door with a diagnosis and a prescription. But, and here's a crucial thing, it's the quality of that interaction that made it the experience that you're describing. Yes, it actually, it kind of gives me chills thinking about it because it, you're absolutely correct. It was, it was not a long visit. It didn't need to be. But there were no distractions. There was no EMR. There was no computer. There was no complex rooming process with a big, long checklist. And so the whole entire focus was on this 
human to human interaction. And the doctor was a hundred percent present with me. And I think that's something that a lot of us wrestle with is that you can look at it as nostalgia for days gone by, but there really is something that feels like it's been lost that shouldn't have been lost. And I, I don't know what the answer to that is because people that don't have that kind of experience, I I feel like we're really both as patients and physicians, we're, we're missing that. It's really robbing us of the fulfillment of what can make this profession so special and meaningful. You're listening to the Health Design Podcast. I'm your host, Moise Jiwa. You're right to put it in the context of the doctor. We are being robbed of the experience, quite apart from the fact that our patients are not experiencing what you as a patient experienced when you first went and saw your family doctor and decided that that's the sort of doctor that you wanted to be. Yes. That brings me to the next point, and that is that family medicine is no longer seen as a career of choice by many aspiring doctors. And that's very sad, because it may well be that they haven't experienced what you and I experienced when we first came into contact with the medical profession. But apart from that, it suggests that something has gone far wrong for people who go into the profession and then feel that they are robbed, as you've said, of the experience of becoming the healer as opposed to the experience of becoming a technician working at a computer and filling in forms. Mm -hmm. How have you survived these years in practice given that you've come into a system that is basically likely to chew you up if you allow it? This is a terrific question. I do have things to say before I come across in any way misleading, though. I, I struggle with the same challenges that everyone does in a, in a broken healthcare system that, unfortunately, the main priority we've identified for, for what the system is looking for, at least where I practice, is things that make money for the healthcare corporation. And that's really distressing. And it's actually part of what gets me out of bed every day, both in terms of the effects that that has on us as physicians, as patients, and future generations of physicians especially. You talked about family medicine and it not being a chosen specialty for so many reasons. And I think that this ties into that conversation. I mean, this is this is global for all of medicine, but it it's something that we absolutely experience. I I can share a few stories about what I've done for survival because the other side of that coin, after I tell you that I struggle just like everyone else, is that I I do love my work. I continue to fight to find ways to love my work because there's so much meaning for me. In fact, I can share with you a story just from this week about a reason why it's so important to me. Just on this Friday, I was in the clinic and there was a, a patient who had been feeling unwell for the past few months and had been losing weight and had an ultrasound done that showed suspicious lesions. And it was, it was Friday. And we knew this was not good. We knew that we needed to 
find out more information and figure things out quickly and go from that place of uncertainty to a place of being able to actually give some some proper guidance for what was going on. And so we got a CT scan for Friday and I stayed late at the clinic. The results came back at about 6.40 at night. There was no way that I was going to go home before that happened. I needed to call this man because his whole life had been turned upside down by what was going on. And that conversation, as hard as it was, I saw him in the clinic and talked to him on the phone. Both of those conversations, as hard as they were, are the kinds of things that make it feel like this is really important work. And I mean, the, his gratitude for me being someone that he knew and could trust to have this very difficult moment with and what it meant to me that someone would put that kind of trust in me was also very, very special. I came to home that night and went to bed at 8.30. I was so emotionally and physically exhausted. But also, I wouldn't have it any other way. I don't want to live in a world where people don't care about each other. And sometimes we have hard experiences, but they are a part of the meaning of care. And this gets into that, what are my survival strategies so that I can love what I do? I work part-time and have worked part-time for the last 12 years. My wife and I made this decision when she got pregnant with our youngest son that we had a choice to make. She's a family physician too. We could both work as doctors full-time and hire a nanny to raise our kids, or we could consider doing something creative and doing something different. And we could both work part-time and trade shifts about who was the parent at home with the kids and who was the doctor in the office caring for patients. It was completely overwhelming and radical to me at, at the time, but she was insistent that we needed to at least consider it and try. And I, I said, okay, after a little bit of persuasion, let's try it. I don't know how this is going to work. I mean, it doesn't fit with the model of the world that I, I, I think I have, but let's try it. 12 years later, there's no way I would go back, Moyes. Like, it is the thing that gives me sanity that I have enough time for recovery. So like from Friday, when I saw this patient and had this very difficult emotional experience, I'm still going to go back to work on Wednesday, feeling refreshed and excited to go to work and to interact with more people that I care about. So working part-time has been hugely protective. And also this sharing of home and work with my wife has been hugely protective. You know, finding something that worked for the two of us I'm spoiled in multiple ways that I know having a spouse that intimately understands what it's like to do the work that we do and, and trading roles, both as the parent who you can have, sometimes we would joke about like, I don't know who had the harder day. <laughs> Is it harder to be a parent or was it harder to be the doctor? It, <laughs> some days both of, both of them were <laughs> maybe equally hard, but I think you get what I'm saying. That dynamic was really helpful to both of us. So that's been hugely protective. Another thing is that for me, working in a small community that I know I'm needed and valued as a primary care family medicine physician is very, very protective. But before I worked here, we were in downtown Spokane, which was very urban. There were so many doctors there. I, you know, it was one of a number. And I was working at an under-resourced community health clinic. Between my wife and I, we were on call every other day for 
OB deliveries and anything else that happened and inherited a practice where the patients had been on high doses of, of opiates in the middle of the opiate ep- epidemic. And we were straight out of residency and not nearly well enough equipped to, to know what to do with that. So here I am in this practice in rural Montana in a community that I really do love and that really appreciates having me here. That's meaningful to have a doctor here where people don't have to travel for 40 minutes to go and be seen. And that's really special. We do things with the school. We are involved in the community and you don't have to do those things, but it makes everything better. It helps get you through the hard days because there are all these people that are rooting for you and want you to be there. And so I have a cheering squad, and and that's really amazing. The Health Design Podcast, hosted by the Journal of Health Design, an alliance with unfixed media and mental health. Gave us so much in what you've described that I'd love to explore. You talk about your creativity. You talk about your choice of life partner and how that made such a difference to how things unfolded. You talk about the choice of community, the choice of where you practice your Mm -hmm. art. Some of these things are down to just luck. Other things are down to the choices that you made and very deliberately made as you learnt about yourself and how you could best bring your best self to your work. Yeah. I want to talk about your creativity because creativity is something we don't talk about very much in medicine. We take people yeah. into medical school who are extraordinarily bright and who are clear, clearly creative because in order to get into medical school, you have to have a big portfolio of things that you've done already. You know, if you if you <laughs> right. play the piano and you swim <laughs> competitively, you stand a pretty good chance of getting into medical school along with your grades. So you're not only are you bright, but you are creative. We don't talk about that, and we certainly don't promote it once you get into the business of doctoring. So talk about your creativity. Where were the roots of that and how has it supported you? I love that you're asking this question because I I agree 100% how when we start in medical school, the the people we show up as are, are transformed into something different by some things about our training that are probably not healthy. And creativity especially is It's a very, very interesting thing to me. I sort of came to realize how important it was to me a little bit later on. In fact, I started doing things that you might describe as creative, not really knowing that they were creative. So back when I was working at this community health clinic in Spokane, we had this really horrible EMR. I mean, people think the EMRs are horrible now. This was a web-based EMR. It took two to three seconds to load a page to give you lab results to review. And I had a little bit of a computer background and knew that there had to be some way to make this a little bit better. So started tinkering with macro software, even back then, right out of residency. 
And I made these little programs that would like open these windows and load them up and I could do some other task for a few seconds while I waited for the page to load. You would have to manually do all that and sort of supervise it without these tools. And I didn't necessarily see that as creativity, but it actually, it was definitely, it was realizing that you're in this difficult situation and and sort of leaning into the parts of you that can get curious about a problem and ask what's possible and play around and make things and see what works. And so that, that was one of the first examples of my creativity. That computer and medicine thing sort of evolved for me. Another story is we have a son who has type 1 diabetes. And when he was 10 years old, he was diagnosed. And one day he came home from school and said, I'd really like to make a video game. And <laughs> I said, okay, that's interesting. Tell me more. He's like, oh, yeah, my friends are all making video games. And I'm very certain that they're not, but I'm humoring him, right? And he's like, no, I, I really want to make a video game. And so I said, okay, well, let's, let's look at that. And so we started exploring what would it take to learn how to make a video game. And so we started coming up with ideas and concepts and ultimately made this game we called Pancreas Hero. And you were a flying superhero pancreas that shot insulin out of his ray gun at the antibodies from the evil Dr. T-cell that was like launching antibodies at, <laughs> at the pancreas hero. And then there was, of course, like candy and sweets that were flying at you. And we, we had so much fun making that. And it was at this time when he was going through one of the hardest things. In fact, our family was going through one of the hardest things with him getting diagnosed with diabetes. It was this bright spot of hope. And it was fun to take that to the local meetups with the American Diabetes Association and, you know, let the other kids like download this game. They're like, cool, this is made for us, <laughs> right? Like who's making video games for kids with diabetes? We tried to infuse a little bit of education. So after each boss that you beat, it would say something informational about diabetes, but it was mostly for fun. <laughs> it was mostly for fun. That was definitely leaning into the creative side. What's also interesting, so you have this early tinkering with macro software and then this learning how to make an iPhone game. And that creativity then led me to ask, so that was about the time when we had the big sort of meaningful use push for major EMRs being rolled out in the US. And there started to be so much pain with the frustration of what it, what it would take to be able to do simple tasks you used to sort of on paper have a something that was very linear that worked how you thought. And now it was like, where did that go? And how many of these different boxes do I have to check? And what screens do I have to navigate to make this thing work that I want to do? And making of the video game and tinkering with the macro software led me to say, you know, I, I feel like it's worth exploring a little bit more about like, what's under the hood with these computer systems that we're using? How do they actually work? And what might be possible to make them work a little bit better? We know how we operate as physicians and how we think, and we know how we think things should be. And clearly, these, these systems are not interfacing like that. And so we started creating voice commands with Dragon software. My partner and I created at first a consulting company. And the thing that made us most excited at first was we found that we could put all the pieces together for a visit to do a cortisone knee injection, which before would have been this nightmare of steps in the EMR. 
And we tied all of that together into one single voice command and watched as it controlled all the things on the computer. And it was this moment of like, aha, this is what we're, this is what we're looking for. We want to be like human beings with the computer so we can spend the real energy we have interacting with patients back to this story of my physician when I was a child. That's what gives us meaning. Clicking boxes is not what gives us meaning. And so that led on to some more adventures in technology. I really am a believer that there is potential for technology to be helpful, but it has to be thought about in how it actually interfaces with our humanity. And we've got a lot of work to do to get that right. I can see the spark in your eyes. You're talking about fun and you're talking about <laughs> adventures, but you're also talking about EMRs, which are, <laughs> they, they don't seem to be related. But you're right. The thing that made the difference is your creativity and the fact that you could see this as a challenge that you felt you had to overcome, which is part of what brought you into medicine and what makes you the doctor that you are. They say that if you want to know what you were meant to do in life, think about what you did when you were 10 years old and what you loved to do when you were 10 years old and do that thing. So if you reflect back in that way, <laughs> what, what do you think that was? <laughs> well, that's so funny because uh, one of the things I spent tons of my free time doing was playing computer games on my Commodore 64. Of course, I was also riding bicycles and skateboards and playing with my friends and watching cartoons, but playing Legos was a big one for me. I used to dream about building Legos. My, my mom would comment about that. I thought that was a pretty ordinary thing to do. I had a very vivid imagination about building things. I would go to sleep at night dreaming about like something that I thought I would, would want to make and sometimes wake up the next morning with an idea of how to put it together and, and build these Lego creations. And that probably did go on to when we were making software, like when we made the video game. I, I think that's part of how I build things is I will think about something quite a lot. Oftentimes when I'm in bed at night, be sort of dreaming about it as I'm getting a little bit sleepy and sometimes wake up in the morning with solutions about what to do next to continue moving it along. Yeah. So anyway, as a 10-year-old, that's, that's also fun to think about. And if you reflect on the two things that you've talked about, your experience of going to see your family doctor and thinking, that's what I want to be like. And at the same time, thinking back to what you like to do as a 10-year-old, playing with your Commodore computer and solving problems, you marry the two together and you have somebody who is a clinician, who is creative which we need an awful lot more of <laughs> the journal of health design fostering collaboration amplifying the voice of health advocates growing a network to improve outcomes in healthcare so i want to go back to some of the other things you talked about you talked about your life partner and the fact that she was supportive of you and this is quite important because we often find that that's the problem, isn't it, in medicine, that you go home to somebody who doesn't really get what you're trying to do. So if you were giving some advice to young medical students or doctors, what would you say about that aspect of their lives? How do they navigate that, which is so 
crucial to allow them to function later on. I think that the choice of of who your life partner is is extremely important, but not only that, your own ownership of making the best of your relationship is is really really important. I think anyone who has a long-term relationship and or who's married that goes through challenges along the way and it's continuing to return to investing in that relationship is something that's really important to you. I still read books about how to understand women. <laughs> in fact, one of my favorite ones is this book by Robert Johnson called We and it talks about sort of the masculine and feminine archetypes that we all have inside of ourselves and how sometimes we may project onto our spouse our own inner as as a man my own inner feminine projecting onto my onto my wife and that was such an interesting thing but i i think the 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 take home message is like we'll probably die not completely understanding our our partners but when you give up trying to understand them and trying to work through these like hard conversations and communications about what we really need at the deepest level and what we really value and care about i do have aside from choice of life life partner i think my bit of advice about what has sustained my relationship in addition to sort of making decisions together that where we support each other is taking time to have adventures together. My wife is actually much better at than me at initiating doing that. I would be the person who would just keep going at work and 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 not take a break and and not really notice how much that was being problematic over time. But she insists that we need to, you know, plan vacations, go places, have adventures, which has been harder of course with the pandemic, but we still try to find ways to to do that. In fact, I mentioned last week was a pretty interesting week. There was this difficult conversation on Friday. We also just got back from taking my wife's 90-year-old grandmother um skydiving. So her dream was to go skydiving and she she turned 90 years old and this was the year to do it. I'm scared to death of heights, but we did it. We jumped out of a plane. <laughs> and it was wonderful. <laughs> and that kind of adventure I I know it it filled up both of our tank for like you know we're we're in this wild ride of life together. What a wonderful thing to say. I think we'll keep this recording and you can play it on your anniversary every year <laughs> just to express how much she means to you clearly and how much difference she's made to your life. I was just thinking as you were speaking about last Friday night and you were coming home at that hour of the evening so tired that you you just want to unwind. she may have felt very differently about things and may have had things planned for the evening and what have you clearly she knows you well enough to know when it is that you need downtime this is a gift i can't claim that i c- could have made this choice intentionally but because my wife and i both have such similar experience in both our jobs and our responsibilities for our home We know what it's like to have a really really hard day at work. Either a hard day because you had so many patients that you're just exhausted because the sheer volume of work or something that's very emotional like like this experience that I had on Friday and how you just need to come home and have some space. And because we've done this enough times, we're bo- we're both quite okay with it. We just know at the end of the day, 
we're going to navigate through this. And it's not like we never make plans, but we're very adaptive to if something comes up like this and somebody needs a little bit of space. You have another perspective, the perspective of being the spouse of a family physician. And of course, you have to also navigate days when she is feeling that she's given as much as she can and she just needs the time to unwind, as it were. You know, one of the best things, if I'm still making recommendations for both life and relationships, we often, when we get home from work, love to take a walk through our neighborhood together. And it's not very long. Maybe it's a little over a mile to make this whole loop that we like to do. But oftentimes after work, when the other person gets home, we'll go outside and hold hands and go for a walk through our neighborhood. And that process of like moving together, getting a little exercise and blood flow and view of the mountains. Um, again, I'm very spoiled. <laughs> but that that view of the outdoors and nature allows us to have space to talk about the things that happened that day that were challenging. And also, it's almost like a clearing experience. If you had a difficult day at home or a difficult day at work, it's a great way to sort of get that through our system and, and do that together. I definitely recommend walks together. I think that's, it's a, it's a, that's a treasure to me as well. I want to go to the other area you talked about, which is your choice of community, the choice of place to practice medicine. It is a difficult one because the place that needs us most is not the leafy suburbs. It, it may be Rural Montana, for example, is, is certainly mm-hmm. a very good example. But I can think of other examples where the community desperately needs good doctors, but good doctors may not want to live in those particular neighborhoods. Many doctors still choose to work in very challenging environments where patients may have problems that are almost insoluble. What are your thoughts around that? Could you ever have seen yourself working in a place like that? And if you were to have worked in a place like that, how would you have survived? My first job out of residency that I talked about briefly really was, was not sustainable. And at the time, I, I didn't know any better in the beginning. I mean, it was my first job after graduating, and I just thought, this is, this is the real world. You've got to get used to it. It wasn't until leaving from there and seeing something different. So I did actually after that job, a, a locum's job at the Indian Health Clinic just outside of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And it was a totally different setting. Really wonderful leadership, very supportive, a lot of community resources designed to be helpful. There was a, a wellness center that anyone who was a patient could access. There was a formulary of medications that anyone who was a patient could access. So the community health clinic that I had worked at in Spokane didn't have any of those things. You would have people that were suffering that absolutely needed resources for things that could support healthier life, but didn't have access to any of that. Or you could prescribe a medication, a very inexpensive medication, and they wouldn't be able to get it. And so I don't, I don't have the answers for that, but I've had tastes of several different models. I think what that does is it helps you realize that there are different ways to do it and you have to keep looking for the place that you fit. I'm trying to think about this question about choices. I wanted to reflect on that a little bit more. 
um, before I lose a thought that I wanted to share, because so you you also know that I'm involved in the grassroots organizing of doctors. And one of the main reasons that I am doing that is the the frustration that a lot of physicians have that our system just isn't isn't working. And we don't feel like we have a voice to stand up for or speak up for a lot of the changes that need to happen. And out of all of the hundreds of conversations I've had with physicians around the country and, and really around the world at this point, it is a sense of agency, a sense of choice that we really so desperately want. We want to have a voice in our own destiny. And how this ties into my own story is that each step along the way, all of these changes, the going from the community health clinic to the locums job to now where I'm at in rural Montana, to the working part-time, to the using creativity to make software, to making games, to getting involved in creating a, a, a grassroots organization, they were for me expressions of agency that have allowed me to fill up my my tank and keep going in a sustainable way what i worry about a lot is that i think that for the benefit of society at large we need to make primary care something that's valued that you don't have to fight so hard to thrive in primary care that it's not something where it's like I could be a martyr and go into primary care, or I could be a dermatologist <laughs> and make, sorry to all my dermatologist friends, <laughs> make a lot of money with an easier lifestyle. You know, it's, it's not necessarily fair that we put these young physicians in that position of having to make that kind of a, that kind of a choice. And so this is a struggle that I have because I agree the, the choices I've made along the way and the importance of creativity to me uh, absolutely are survival things that are essential. But I'm, I'm very much interested in systemic transformation as well. In terms of the choices that you make, we talked about creativity, you talked about your life partner, you talked about the choice of community. Do you think that it is, in 2022, sustainable, number one, to work full-time in clinical practice for an entire lifetime mm -hmm. and number two is it sustainable to work in some places for an entire lifetime because you've not done either of those nor have i and i feel that it isn't sustainable in the current yeah. way that healthcare is organized for us to give of ourselves entirely to some communities either full-time for a lifetime or for a lifetime in a particular place. What do you think? I agree completely. As far as the for a lifetime in a particular community, I've been I've been where I am for 10 years and I would like to be here longer. There's been times along the way where it's not been so certain about how that was all going to work out. Right now I'm in a in a really good spot and I'm I'm planning to be here longer and try to figure out if it can continue to be sustainable. But there's so, there's so many shifts happening. There's so much change happening everywhere that it's really hard to predict. So yes to the question of it not being sustainable to be in one place for a lifetime, which is really quite sad, I think, back to the story of my physician when I was a child. I mean, part of 
the joy is knowing families through generations. And back when he was my doctor, you know, delivering babies that then grew up to have their own children and multi-generational people that you cared for, that's really a beautiful and wonderful thing to be a part of. I think that's going to be something that's more and more rare if we can't find a way to sustain ourselves in, in one place for a long enough period of time. This also fits into the, like the, the current healthcare system really seems to see physicians as a commodity where almost like interchangeable widgets, you know, swap one doctor in and out for another doctor. I refuse to accept that paradigm, but the healthcare system doesn't particularly see me that way. The, the direct people that I know say, of course, relationships matter. Of course, like your particular care for your patients and your, your relationships in your community absolutely matter. But something really happened and I, you know, for, for whatever reason left, they'd find someone else to replace me in a heartbeat. And I don't know that my community would say that it didn't matter. I really hope not. But the state of things is, is that we, we do often feel interchangeable. And I don't think that that's healthy. And I don't think that's good. As human beings, I, I think we, we need to feel that there's something special about us and our relationships. In, in terms of this question about sustainability for working full time, I can't speak for other people, but from my own experience, I am able to sustain the way I am because I, I work part time and have for the last 12 years. And I, I know way too many friends who are suffering significant burnout who are trying to keep going full time. And also in the current day and age, part-time is full-time. If you look at the hours that I put in, it's, I'm not working less than a 40-hour week in my part-time, that's for sure. <laughs> Gabe Charbonneau, you've been extraordinarily generous and extraordinarily kind in sharing so many aspects of your life and your experience. We are indebted to you on this occasion. I hope we will have another conversation very soon. And I would describe you as a physician's physician. You certainly are making a difference to those of us who need to hear your voice at this point in our lives. Thank you. Thank you, Moyes. It was a, it was a real treat to talk to you today. The Health Design Podcast, sponsored by the Patient and Physician Advocacy Alliance. Visit us at thejournalofhealthdesign.com.